Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Nice to be back again, and uh, this time speaking with, as you can hear, a bit more calmer voice than before, and uh, with a bit more sanity, so to speak. So, what's been going on? A lot to talk about this time. This is probably going to be one of the longer episodes. Then again, what did you expect? I just uh, finally came off from um, two-week vacation time, which I drastically needed. I feel how I can think again and be less emotional, you know, gather my thoughts and be there to report again and better than ever. And I want to thank you, all your listeners who understood, who did not write letters of complaint and who did a great job supporting me in, um, in what I would call my darkest hours, really. But now, now I can be my cold, <laughs> cold journalist once again, redoubling the efforts to make sure that this horrible war, well, reaches a conclusion. Some things, of course, have been darkly humorous, but um, first of all, so, what's been, what's been going on? Well, first of all, about the situation on the whole front line. This fall, the whole Russian army managed to seize the initiative from Ukraine, and now it's trying to capitalize on its position. However, it's been, well, quite failing. The approach in winter 2024 strategic offensive, which has mostly failed, as reported by Bild, is the same one they took in 2023, getting out many small strikes along the entire front, though not con- concentrating enough forces in any, in any one area to achieve overwhelming superiority. So, yeah, again, unsurprising that none of its attacks have brought operational success. Russia's troops have repeatedly gotten ensnared in Ukraine's defenses. Meanwhile, the armed forces of Ukraine are regularly faced with crises, but have so far, so far, managed to hold back their opponents and even to stage counterattacks, despite, again, being short on ammunition and personnel. Russia has been able to stage its current offensive by using significantly more ammunition than Ukraine, five times as much by quite a few reports. Additionally, Russian army has deployed reserve forces to the front, which expands on strikes that, truth to be told, carry no operational value. This kind of struggle of attrition, however, threatens to pose major problems for Kyiv if the West does not quickly, and I mean quickly, provide it with more ammunition and equipment. Thankfully, well, there have been many statements and papers signed and everything about help to Ukraine, but still, I, um, I need to emphasize once again that we're talking about quickly. Time is of the essence here, so that we do not repeat the mistakes of past... past war-fighting efforts when, you know, stuff was given, but not at all at appropriate times. Almost all of the Russian military strikes currently follow the same pattern. First, armored, armored vehicles launch the attack with support from artillery, aviation, and drones. After losing some equipment but achieving the attack's first objectives, Russian troops use infantry to, gain, to try to gain a foothold on some new frontiers, but Ukrainian artillery and drones impede their efforts to transport additional equipment to the front line. If necessary, Ukraine sends reserves to the side of the attack. Then Russian infantry digs in, trying to withstand Ukraine's counterattack and to survive under Ukrainian artillery and Ukrainian drone strikes. This entire cycle generally results in the Russian army advancing a few hundred meters, or at most um, a kilometer or so. so in, in severe, like few cases, maybe two at best. Russia's command accumulates new forces, tries to suppress Ukraine's artillery in the area of the offensive, then repeats the attack, this time from its new positions, and 
well, both sides are incurring heavy losses throughout this process, which is, of course, sad. And there are a lot of places where Russian troops are trying to attack, in Svatovye, in Krupyansk, all over the place. But again, Russian successes have been minor. However, everything there has been... Has been all the successes uh, that Ukraine has had in defending have come at a large cost. The most important point where Ukraine has succeeded the most, I'd say, is Avdivka. After uh, the Russian military successes in the fall, which came at the cost of, again, significant equipment and personal losses, the situation around Avdivka st- stabilized. Russian forces managed to cross the Avdivka-Pokovsk railway as early as November, which put them about four kilometers from the main supply line of the Ukrainian army's Avdivka grouping. Now, however, they found themselves trapped between Ukraine's fortified positions at the Avdivka coke plant and Ukrainian reserve forces sent from the other fronts, which are now defending the western part of the village of Stepovoye and its surroundings. The Russian army is unable to concentrate its forces near Stepovoye because Ukrainian artillery is targeting Russian convoys and infantry attempting to cross the railway. Instead, the Russian infantry in the area, backed by artillery and drones, is focusing on fighting Ukrainian vehicles, including Leopard tanks and Bradley infantry vehicles, sent from the Zaporizhia region. Russia's command is attempting to break the deadlock by taking the approach it took in Bakhmut. If it can't surround the city, it can carry out a systematic assault by taking advantage of Ukraine's supply difficulties. Russian armed forces are attacking the suburbs of Avdivka along the railway and the outer fence of the Avdivka coal plant from the north and the industrial zone near the Donetsk bypass road from the south. Despite having captured the industrial zone of Bakhmut, the Russian army is unable to advance further due to remaining pockets of resistance from Ukrainian forces in the forested areas and dachas on its flanks. Russian troops are attempting to solve this problem by launching attacks again from the east and, and west. Another method borrowed from the Wagner Group is the Russian army's expansion of the breakthrough area near Stepove, with the goal of spreading Ukraine's reserves thin. In recent weeks, Russia's troops have crossed the Avdiivka Prokrovsk railway to the north of the plant are attempting to break through through the villages of Birchi, Novokalnovoye, and Ochrechenye. How the situation develops here, of course, will depend on whether Russia's command wants to continue spending resources on the capture of Avdivka. Zeluzhny has said that Russia does want this, and that Ukraine might lose control of the city in a few months. In any case, regardless of its losses, Russia's troops remain closer to achieving a major operational victory in this area than anywhere else on the front, so this is the main point, which, again gets defended. Of course, I think that Zaluzhny said that, you know, stuff just might happen. And again, I do not believe that he, um, you know, was wholly pessimistic. After all, his job is to get Western help. And, uh, you know, if he'd be going around telling that everything's fine, yeah, probably no help would be incoming. Everything's uh, a bit gloomy now. But there is, there is some hope for the Ukrainian side. Because again, new year, new aid, and Russia has its own well, to be frank, quite massive problems. See, that's a that's a bit of a weird, weird thing here, because right now there is still going to be no, no uh, rotation for the soldiers in Russia. That's the thing. There is no rotation happening. The guys on the front are mobilized for the most part and they're trying desperately to you know get home internal struggles are now getting more and more pronounced in russia where 
the mothers and wives of the mobilized are are now going on to protests. I'll get to that later, but just to explain some things, for now, Russia's situation is such that, um, yeah, Bill allowing foreigners with criminal records to sign up with contract with the Russian military has been now submitted to Gosduma and it will clearly pass, obviously. The bill's author has mentioned that in June 2023, the authorities permitted Russian citizens with criminal records to sign contracts to serve in Russia's armed forces, as well as those who committed crimes of minor or medium severity, and apparently, well, you know, cannibalism is um, medium severity. At the same time, we have reports that um, some, some foreigners, namely Serbians, who have um, somehow believed and been vetted into this Russian army unit who volunteered to fight, yeah, they have been mistreated badly, and their contact, who is now a trusted, a trusted person of Putin in his election campaign, no less, even he's complaining about how these Serbs are being mistreated and how everything is just, well, pretty much being, the color being treated horrible. And so, this is not going to be easy. Russia truly is, um, is, is experiencing a lot of pressure from inside, and again, Ukraine just needs to stand until something goes over. So you might have heard that there were mass- massive, massive amounts of technical, technogenical catastrophes happening all over the place, and a lot of places in Russia currently have, um, well, no heating. And I mean, you'd be, you'd be thinking that these people are, you know, used to that kind of stuff. However, it's gotten to the point where it's being a tragedy. We're seeing all over the place videos, <laughs> videos of people actually just going out on the streets and making making large bonfires to, to warm themselves because it's warmer than uh, warmer than staying inside in their own apartment. That's like insane a bit, but if you think about it, this is happening near Moscow, basically very close to Moscow uh, as it is, and it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy because these people aren't happy. I'll get to the mothers after that, but yeah, uh, think about it. Over 100,000 Moscow residents have lost heat this year. That's the thing. What happened was that there was a cartridge factory in Moscow region, apparently. Basically, uh, they they had a mechanical failure, and some stuff exploded, and some some just blasted out, out there. And apparently, well, they called on to the region's heating heating supplies. So, yeah, they um, their temperature fell down and they were in um, horrible troubles. And then now that's one of those unexpected cases that could happen. And in other regions, in other, in other regions well, I just Googled up uh, hospitals freezing. And yeah, those things happen because <laughs> this is not an isolated incident. For example, in Novosibirsk region, at least 124 residential buildings and 10 public facilities, such as schools and hospitals, have lost heat and hot water following a technical failure on the central heating system in the city's Leninsky district. And more and more such cases are being reported all over the place. This is because, well, years and years of negligence and uh, total corruption in every possible way is finally catching up. And right now, you know, when everyone who even knew how to fix these pipes and how to make things run without a budget so that something could get going, yeah, they're all mobilized. And they're up in the front lines. So, so with a total lack of manpower and utter, utter absolute corruption, things are uh, not going so well. This is just going to get worse. Literally every Russian analyst right now will 
adhere to this, and I haven't heard any reports about Russia being miraculously able to suddenly fix all their problems that have been, you know, caused by 20 years of um, infrastructure damage and, uh, and malpractice of, of basically everything. Meanwhile, at the same time, the attitude of the authorities towards the people who are obviously unhappy and writing all sorts of uh, messages, both in Telegram and in video, well, can be, expla- can be explained by this, because uh, for one, quote, <clears throat> officials in Russia's Saratov region have been, quote, unquote, strongly encouraged not to wear fur coats or expensive leather clothing to events that are covered by the media, which was reported on um, Tuesday by a local m- news outlet. Accordingly to the sources, uh, the officials have been instructed not to, not to wear fur coats in the meetings with residents. One of these sources gave more detail about the instructions. Quote, The lifestyles of Saratov officials should demonstrate modesty, simplicity, and restraint. The trend is plain jackets, insulated caps. Governor Roman Busargin should be given priority to wear this particular accessory, and knitted hats. Fur can only serve as a decoration, not as the dominant element of the garment. All these things will show unity with the people, or at least proximity to them. This is just amazing, to, about showing proximity to the people. Because, yeah, that is how... Uh, that is how you should really be be calling this because it's kind of insanity obviously these things are happening because and these orders are not just in Saratov district that are all over the place because it's it's Russia and well unless they're specifically told to unless they are explicitly told not to do such such things you know that they're just going to do it they are going to wear these fur coats they're going to show off their their um their wealth in these hard times for your average Russian, which means that, uh, yeah, it's not going to be um, very much happy if they don't. I mean, we've seen stories about how the how the authorities are just there to be corrupt and everything, and uh, they do it. They do not care about your average Russian person, which just puts on more stress on the whole situation, given that um, the event previously known as Putin's election is still coming up. Also, Russian Justice Ministry has published a document on the site that contains the home addresses of four people it has declared foreign agents. This document, titled Plan for Conducting Scheduled Inspections of Foreign Agents for 2024, exposes the addresses of blogger Nikolai Sobolev, voting rights activist Sergei Piskunov, and journalist Yekaterina Lushnikova and Denis Konstantinov. Apparently, well, uh, this is a massive, massive violation of Russia's privacy laws, but, you know, nobody cares. Because, once again... <laughs> Russia's privacy laws and, and the actual care about these people is shown by this and the fact that they need to be reminded not to show off uh, things where... not to show off things of wealth and extra luxury when everyone is suffering. Meanwhile, at the same time today, earlier, a warehouse in St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg belonging to Wildberries, Russia's largest online retailer, has caught fire, according to Russia's Emergency Services Ministry. Initially, the ministry reported that the fire covered an area of about one square kilometer, which is about 10,800 square feet. But within a half an hour, emergency workers said that the fire had spread to an area of 50, uh, of 50 square kilometers, about 538,200 square feet. And I'm good at making these conversions now. Thank you, Google. A message on the Wildberries Telegram channel said that people in the warehouse had been evacuated and the customers and sellers will be compensated for lost goods. However, this is yet again another case of um, these catastrophes that are happening all over the place. You know, things um, things are getting worse and worse in there just because 
Well, just because there's nothing else, to, 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 there's no one to fix them and everything. And it's going to get even even worse the more this war goes on for the average Russian as well. Which is why I, which is why I believe that um, this whole situation is not not as horrible as you know some people in the Western media would like to like to portray it as. And finally, Russia's Belgorod. Also, you know, they've began fortifying the city's public transport stops with sandbags and concrete amid an increase in shelling from across the Ukrainian border. They are they're scared, and people of Belgorod are also quite unhappy because they are also, you know, feeling um, stressed and cold. <laughs> the, um, the governor, Vyacheslav Godkov, stressed that the authorities will, quote, take the wishes of residents into account. According to their local media, many residents have expressed doubts about the ability of bricks and sandbags to protect them in a shelling attack. The governor responded by saying that protective measures are being carried out in accordance, <clears throat> quote, with the recommendations of specialists. You see, the, the women's movement finally got to that point. The movement of wives mobilized is now becoming more and more radicalized. No surprises there. If in the beginning they asked to replace their loved ones at the front with someone else, now, they're ready, now they are already demanding demobilization. And they now have increased their actions. They come out with placards and organize weekly actions. But the authorities have not even figured out what to do with them. There was one, one of these uh, actions to get today, and one of them, the loudest of them, was released almost, almost immediately. Her name was Maria Andreeva, and she's an activist of this way home. They, uh, today they, they went out uh, and, and posted, because this is a memorial day, as they call this, these events, they go out and they post flowers on the graves of the unknown soldier and all these eternal fires and all this stuff. And... You know, they're, uh, they're becoming more and more aggressive in their demands. Quote, there are, more and more one of, there are more and more of us every time, says one of the protesters. If they are all dispersed, the mobilized, who still, by the way, remain the backbone of the Russian army, well, uh, then, yeah, it's going to be pretty bad. Because then the Russian army will just collapse. However, if these ladies are allowed to take to the squares, the, the ranks will swell with more and more relatives who resent the fact that their loved ones are still on the front lines. And that's also not a nice thing because this is on the eve of um, so-called elections. And Putin really doesn't know what to do with it. They, they try to do it uh, to deal with this in some sort of a covert manner in a way that <laughs> that wouldn't really push women uh, and the mobilized on the front out um, as much as possible. Like, the soldiers in the front lines are being threatened to, you know, calm your wives down, otherwise, you know, there will be repercussions or you'll be sent off to die in a suicide assault. And they kind of, meanwhile, can't really do anything outwardly. They, they can't really beat people up. Like, if you remember a month ago, these, these wives mobilized, they met in, like, closed spaces, the, no one photoed them and everything. Now they're coming out... Um, like and they have their their groups even they're they're having placards and they they have this special uh, white uh, overcoat thing white collar that they've taken as their symbol they have a symbol now that they're coming out in in central squares of various cities and i don't even remember any time whatsoever when someone could just go out go out and and just you know stand with a placard in front of the kremlin and and protest against anything the russian government has done without getting beaten up but but yeah, yeah, this is happening, and this will continue to grow. 
And that's the thing, by the way, about this Maria Andreeva that was arrested but quickly released. What happened is that she's one of those activists of this way home. She's one of the more active of the wives of the mobilized. And apparently in the video today, it was reported that she was arrested. The cops just tried to arrest her, but some other cops just ran, ran towards the ran quickly uh, to the situation. And while she was screaming, look, look, uh, look, everyone, uh, the wife of mobilized, who is now fighting in this special military operations, being arrested very loudly. Yeah, uh, another FSB cop just ran over and said, no, 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 don't touch these, don't touch these at all. Because they don't know what to do with them. Some of them they did pay off, didn't really work. Some of them, you know, just are just too tired of everything. And then there are interviews where, once again, various officials from the Ministry of Defense and various deputies of the Gosduma are stating that, no, there's going to be no rotation. And by rotation, I mean no one's going to be even taken off from the front lines. And they're just getting tired and tired. And you can't do anything with them. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, uh, it's the Russian Orthodox Christmas coming very soon. And before that, it was just just bizarre because Putin once again met um, met with the wives of well of the deceased widows. He met with widows. It was very somber and dark when um, he managed in that conversation start stating uh, start stating that you know we should all remember that Christmas is a family um, is a family celebration and that um, and that Christmas is a warm is a warm, uh, you know, warm thing for the whole family at a time where, you know, people are freezing to death and these talking this, that Christmas is a family celebration to, to these widows. And you can like see on their faces that they, they're just not buying it. And weirdly enough, with, uh, with all the situation, there are actually some candidates to be candidates for president uh, who are now like gathering, because um, in Russia, there's going to be legal opposition. There's going to be someone who's going to be, you know, plastered over as this... Um, you know, beat, beating boy for, for Putin. And one of them, you know, has somehow, who's now gathering uh, basically signatures to be allowed to run for candidates to be the president, to be a candidate for the candidacy, basically. It's, it's a long process, obviously it is. And he met these, uh, these way home activists, 14 of them. And a lot of them didn't want to be filmed. A lot of them didn't want to get their faces in public, but their stories were out there and were told. And... You know, they all they all yelled at and said that if this general, who is now once again reaffirming the fact that there's going to be no mobilization, uh, he apparently called them and the mobilized the most socially protected group in all of Russia, and they got super angry at him. They got angry and told you know that he should go and <laughs> go to the front lines themselves. And and note, I don't really you know don't really share a lot of too too much sympathies with these ladies because after all, they, their husbands are out there fighting against Ukraine. However, this shows the radicalization and the internal troubles Russia is facing. And nothing that Russia is doing right now is in any way solving their own stuff. And they just don't know how to react to this situation because, for one, yeah, these, um, these women, well, in the propaganda of Vladimir Solovyov and everyone else, well, of course, he's been calling them, you know, agents of Ukraine, agents of West, and all, all that nonsense, right? But once the movement grows, you can't really call all of them agents, and you can't really beat them up, and you're, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And then, all sorts of ca catastrophes are happening. And it's on these mobilized, on these, these people who are there at the front, on, on those guys, uh, the Russian offensive is going on. And that's the main like, backbone of the Russian offensive, which I hope will break, because I want Ukraine to win, obviously, but um, it's a complex situation right here. 
And the thing is, Putin can't even do a new mobilization either. Because that was, like, that September, when the mobilization happened, that was the least popular Putin has ever been. And then, you know, we saw an exodus of people just leaving Russia in droves. And, you know, if, uh, and if Putin decides to do a second wave of mobilization, oh boy, then, then all of this is going to get loose. Therefore, I kind of hope that um, we, see some, we see some major fuck-ups from the Russian government in trying to solve the situation. Okay, this didn't, didn't end up being as, as long as I had expected to because I had to cut some parts out and everything. But I'm back and I'm healthy, as you can hear me now, and I'm trying my best. So thank you. Um, please support the show on theeasternborder.lv and of course on patreon.com slash border. we're getting our merch so ready, finally it's going to be through Etsy and through Printful it's going to be a bit of a mess, but at least it's going to be made in like made in, like print on demand stuff with mugs and everything, and you'll finally be able to get your gherkin shirts and, and, and all the other stuff and uh, yeah, I, I won't be even I won't even need to do shipping myself because they uh, these Printful guys they apparently have like uh, places where they do that in in the United States as well and in Canada and in, in like all over the place which means that it's going to be affordable shipping as well for everyone which means you know quite a nice thing that uh, I finally finally gotten to during these 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 weeks tomorrow me and Evita we're going um, we're going finalizing like the documents to find out the exact date when our wedding is happening. And I'll be back to work. But yeah, once again, that's the Daniel Tavarishi. And as always, remember, happiness is mandatory. Oh, and uh, hey, <laughs> it's really nice to be back.